That looks crooked to me. Is it? Welcome back, my friends. I'm going to apologize in advance for my nasally voice. I have uh, a bit of a cold, nothing serious, but a little bit of an impediment. I hope that that doesn't get in the way of the beautiful words of Torah that my hope and prayer is that you will be able to enjoy and be inspired by. Yesterday, in our previous episode, we talked in great detail about the sounds of freedom and how it has to sound personal to you. Where does that lead us? Well, in the Haggadah, it leads us now into the climax or crescendo of the Passover narrative or the idea of our Haggadah meaning not only telling the tale, but also expressing our thanks and our gratitude. As we mentioned many times in the outset of the series, the word Haggadah comes from two very different sources, both of which have an important part in our Passover narrative and responsibility. So let's begin. The Ritva... The great Sephardic sage, I'm sorry, all right, something is not right, we need to start over, just very low, which volume is the problem on YouTube, what's the problem on, huh, on the regular recording, we're having some technical difficulties besides my cold, my apologies, are we good now, okay, Let's get right into it. We concluded the idea of Bechol Dovador, Chai of Adam Lirasis Atzma. In every generation, you need to see this Exodus business as being your personal affair. The next thing we're going to hear about is Lefichach, therefore. The great Sephardic sage Ritva, Rabbeinu Yomtev al Ghazi, he says, Lefichach Anachnu Chayovim, Omru Bemechilten. Our sages tell us in what is known as the compilation of Medrash Halacha on the first two books of Torah, Genesis and Exodus, as Mechilta, when it says, you will say, this is a Paschal offering before God, it comes to teach or inform, that anybody who hears about these miracles, you heard about the miracles? You became aware, once again, of what happened when we were privileged to leave Mitzrayim in such a miraculous way? Tzarech l'shabeach. You have a, an obligation. You must now praise Hashem. L'for, l'reimam, and so on and so forth. In other words, from the Ritva's perspective, this is not really related to the personalization of the Exodus per se, but at this point, where we have already recounted all the miracles, and we've mentioned so many details about the idea and ideal of narrating the Exodus, we've even talked about how the Exodus should be narrated, the syntax of three essentials, and then how we should behave as we're narrating this. So, at this point, when you hear about all these miracles, the right thing to do is to thank, to praise to acknowledge, to laud, and so on and so forth. The Avudraham says, Kivan anachnu Oh, before I go to Avudraham, you'll forgive me, I wanted to share with you the words of the Haggadah, that was the, the commentary on Haggadah that was authored by the great Rishon, Rabbeinu Yehuda ben Yakar. He says, Since Am Yisrael is so elevated by virtue of the things Hashem did for them. The Jewish people were elevated by the various miracles and the special things that Hashem said and did. Therefore, it's kind of quid pro quo. God did all these things for us. He embraced us. He elevated us. He, he took care of us. He provided for us. He brought us from slavery into freedom. He made us his special children. We have a responsibility to reciprocate. 
The reciprocity, as Ritva and Riban Yakar see it, is not related to the personalization of the Exodus, but rather to the story at large. We've recounted the story, we've heard about the miracles. Do what they say in Yiddish, the menschlich thing. Behave in a decent fashion. The reciprocity here is discussed in broadest of terms. However, when we move to the sages of Ashkenaz, the sages who lived in Germany or Alsace-Lorraine, France, we hear the Avudraham tell us, Kivan, because now we have understood that it's not enough to simply tell stories that happened to our ancestors, but we must view ourselves, feel, and communicate as if we have left the land of Mitzrayim. In that case, then we must praise. In other words, from Abu Dahab's perspective, this idea of the praise that we must give is directly linked to personalization. We find something similar in the Haggadah Zevach Pesach. This is, of course, a great Seder Sforad. The Abarbanel, Rabbeinu Yitzchak Abarbanel says, Me'achar sha'onu atzmenu yotzonu. Since we ourselves have left the land of Mitzrayim, then it's only appropriate that we should be praising. So we have these two schools of thought as to what brings us to the next part of the Haggadah. Is it the notion of reciprocity? God did miracles for us. He elevated us. We, in turn, should thank Him. We should just be a mensch. Or is this directly linked to the notion of personalizing Exodus? If we are to personalize it so, if we view, understand, and appreciate that we ourselves left the land of Mitzrayim, if so, the appropriate thing is to respond in songful praise. The Maharal of Prague is really quite unequivocal about this. In his commentary on Haggadah, known as Gvur al Tashem, the Maharal says, Kol adam chayav Each person has a sacred duty, a responsibility, to see himself as if he or she has left the land of Egypt. And he should acknowledge, praise and thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As we finish, we start the words Bechol Dor Vador, According to the Maharal, the continuation of that is and therefore it is incumbent upon us, it is our duty to acknowledge Hashem's kindness. Maharal then goes on to explain the notion of personal exodus. I shared most of that with you yesterday. So this is an interesting segue into today's class. Why we are going to thank and praise Hashem can be seen in differing ways, whether it's a general reciprocity thing or whether it is specifically linked to the notion of the personal exodus story. If you personalize, well, then if it's personal, make it personal. Open your mouth. Praise Hashem. Okay, ready. Let's do it. Whether I'm doing it because God took us out of Mitzrayim and miracles happened for our people, our nation was forged, or whether I'm going to begin to praise Hashem because I myself feel that I've left Egypt, let's begin the praise, the song. Not so fast. At this point, something very interesting happens. And that will be the focus of today's class. Raise your glass. Rabbeinu Simcha Vitri, the author of the Machzer Vitri, a disciple of Rashi, decidedly Ashkenaz. He writes the following, When you arrive at the point in the Haggadah 
where you're going to now acknowledge our duty, our responsibility to praise Hashem. Notel kolachad viachad koso biodo. Then every member of the Seder gathering should take his glass in hand. Of course, on a regular Shabbat, Kiddush, sanctification over a glass of wine or over a Kiddush cup, is recited broadly, or generally speaking, by one person. On the night of the Seder, everybody has a cup. Everybody has a glass of wine. The obligation of drinking four glasses of wine, as we've talked about in previous classes. So because everybody has a glass, Mahasavitri says, everybody should take that glass in hand. Why? What does the taking of glass in hand have to do with the praise of Hashem? I'm glad you asked. The Mahasavitri says, Mipnei, because Shaboyim liftoyach b'shir v'halal. We're about to begin something different. We haven't really done this tonight yet. We're about to begin to sing the song of Hashem's praise. We find in the Agadic teachings of the Talmud here, the Machzavitri refers to the 35th page of Mesechet Brachot, where we are told, please forgive me, excuse me, Where we are told, Shein Omrim Shira Ella Al Hayoyin. Shira, a song to God, is always recited over a glass of wine. The Gemara derives this from an analysis of a verse that's found in the book of Judges. I don't want to go into the detail. The, the verse says that wine gladdens the heart of man and God. And the Gemara says, If it gladdens the heart of people, okay, people get merry over a glass of wine. How does it gladden the proverbial heart of God? Shira, praise, song, is only recited over a glass of wine. Very interesting. So the Mahsa Vitri is telling us not only will we be singing Hashem's praises, but we're going to do it over a glass of wine. Rabbi Meir HaKohen, a disciple of Rabbeinu Meir of Rottenburg, the great Maharabi Rottenburg, he wrote a commentary on Maimonides, the codes of Maimonides known as Mishnah Torah, which we've referenced many, many times. And I told you that Maimonides also wrote the text of a Haggadah. So Rabbeinu Meir Cohen wrote a commentary on the Rambam. But the Rambam, of course, was Moshe ben Maimon Hasfardi, bringing the Sephardic customs. And as a disciple of Rabbi Meir of Rottenburg, a German rabbi, Rabbi Meir Cohen here added the glosses in which he narrated or dictated or documented Ashkenazic customs. So in his commentary on Maimonides' Haggadah, he makes a little notation on the word Lefikach. And the Haggadah's Maimonides says, Kan nohagim kol echod lagbia koso biodo. At this point, it's customary that everybody raises a glass. Everybody raises a glass. Ad sof lefikach until the end of the fikach. Then he adds something very interesting. He says, Achain, yet, Noah, it would be appropriate. Lechos biyodoi ad goal Yisrael. He would continue to grasp this glass of wine to be holding it until the end of the blessing that's recited, which concludes Magid. 
ועד שיבורך בורא פרי הגופן. וכן נוהג מרמזל, רבינו מאיר אב רוטנברג. So we have Rabbi Simcha Vitri, a disciple of Rashi, and we have an earlier record of this, Rabbi Meir HaKohen, who's telling us that Maharam of Rottenburg did same. Both come from Ashkenazic sources. And here, it gets very interesting. Let's take a look into the Shulchan Aruch. But first, we'll look at the forerunner of the Shulchan Aruch. The system of the Code of Jewish Law as we follow it today, Shulchan Aruch, was originally devised by Rabbeinu Yaakov, the son of Rabbeinu Asher, the son-in-law of Rabbeinu, mayor of Rottenburg. Yeah, definitely Ashkenaz lineage. But what you might not know is that Rabbeinu mayor of Rottenburg was arrested by Rudolf, the fourth or fifth, and held in prison because they needed to raise money for a war. Rabbeinu Asher escaped. He settled in Spain, in Sfarad. And he became one of the leading lights, the luminaries, of the Sephardic Jewish community. A Sephardic rabbi. So he documents, really, the Sephardic tradition. However, when he wrote his Balhad, his Turim, his columns, in which he really narrates or details the laws of that govern Jewish life. Excuse me. The tour says the end of chapter 473 of Ashkenaz. It's customary in Alsace-Lorraine, the Germanic provinces, that there the Jewish community is of the custom, Shekishimagin, Ad Lefikach, that when they come to the point of the Haggadah where it's time to start to sing, Magbiya Kolechad Koso, everybody raises his glass, Vaoches Biado, and he holds it, Ad Sium Birchat Asher Ga'alano, until the end of the Bracha. The tour says, This is the way it's described in the Midrash, which is connected to Tehillim, that when you're going to come to Lefikach, it's appropriate to raise the glass. Why? Because song should be performed over wine. So now we know that this idea that Rabbeinu Simcha Vitri and Machzer Vitri talks about, the idea that Hagoras Maimonus adds in his glasses to Rambam, is actually gets entrenched in Jewish law, where the Tur, living in Spain, writes that Noagin Ma Ashkenaz, this is the custom in Ashkenaz. I'm pretty sure, incidentally, it is universal today. How does this show up in the Shulchan Aruch? In the Shulchan Aruch, near the end of chapter 473, Rabbeinu Yosef, Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, definitely Sephardic. He wrote the Sephardic Shulchan Aruch. When you reach Lefichach, Magbiya kol echad koso, ad shechotem goal Yisrael. The Beis Yosef says, when you reach Lefichach, everybody raises his glass until you conclude the bracha. Now, if you're looking in your Haggadah, and maybe I should have pointed it out at the beginning of the class. After the Bechol Dor Vador comes Lefichach. Lefichach ends Benoimar Lafon of Hallelujah. So let's sing Hashem's praises. And then we recite the first two chapters of Hallel, the formal song of praise to God. After that comes a blessing, the blessing of redemption. That blessing concludes the portion of the Seder night known as Magid, and at the end of it, we drink the second cup of wine. So, we've learned that it's appropriate to raise the glass until the end of Lefichach, 
so that we will be singing over a glass of wine. Machzevitri doesn't talk about how long we should hold the cup for. He just says, raise your glass. The Agoas Maimonides says that you should raise the glass until the end of Lefichach just that first paragraph. And then he says that it's appropriate to continue holding the glass until the blessing of Borei Pri HaGofen, till the end of the Goal Yisrael, Va'ad She'yavarim Borei Pri HaGofen. In the Shochanah, in the Tur, he says you hold the glass until the end of Asher Go'alonu. He does not mention Borei Pri HaGofen. In the Shochanah, it says again, you hold the glass from Lefichach, all the way till the end of the blessing, there's no mention of the Bore Priyagafen. I hope you're following. All right. How does this come through in the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Aruch? The Alter Rebbe says, and I'll soon fill you in with a little bit of the background here, but he says, No hagin, it is customary, koso, biado, it's appropriate. To, for everybody to raise his glass and to continue holding it, Shulchan Aruch doesn't say that. He says, But the Alter Rebbe doesn't mention anything about Borei either. And here, it's really interesting. So the Rebbe, in his notes on the, on the Haggadah, he says, in the Haggadah, the instructions are that you raise the glass. Va'ogzo, and you hold it, be a dough in your hand, ad siyum birchat asher go'alonu, until you finish the bracha of asher go'alonu. Now, this, this is similar to the language Alter Rebbe uses in Shulchan Aruch, but not precisely or exactly the same. The Rebbe says, this, this custom, this instruction, can be found in the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch, as I showed you, and I showed you some earlier sources too. The Rebbe says, isn't it strange that nobody talks about the blessing of Borei Priyagafan, which the Hagot Maimonet, Amir HaKon did? This really requires somebody uh, looking into. This requires looking into. The Havala it should have said, as the Hagos Maimonis mentioned, which he said, until you recite the bracha of Borei Priyagafen, and only afterwards will you drink. Please forgive me. interruptions. The Rebbe has a very interesting suggestion here. Now, I want to tell you something before we go further. As a rule, when you make a bracha, you're supposed to hold the item that you're making the bracha over. If it's a mitzvah, for example, your lulav, you're going to be holding your lulav when you make the bracha. You won't be holding your etrog as well because then the mitzvah is already performed. At the night of the Seder, when you're going to make the bracha of hamotzi, you're going to be holding the matzah. Two matzahs with a broken piece in the middle. Why? Because you're holding that which you're reciting a bracha over. On Shabbat and Yom Tov, we have to recite a bracha on a monok fula, on a double portion. Guess what? The blessing alachilat matzah, I'm eating the matzah, according to the majority of halachic decisors, is not recited over the bottom matzah, but rather over the broken piece, or maybe the top. So we drop the bottom matzah for the second bracha, we're only holding the top two, the whole matzah and the broken matzah. We'll talk about this in great detail when we get to the part of the Haggadah about matzah, and I'm going to go through all these halachas with you. My point is this. My point is that when you recite a bracha, you hold the item you're reciting the bracha over. If it's not a mitzvah, if it's what we call birchat hanen, my pleasure, 
for example, I'm going to eat or drink something, I'm going to hold the item that I'm about to eat or drink, and I'm going to recite a bracha over it. So the Rebbe says, if you look carefully, if you look carefully, you'll see two verbs that were used to describe the raising of the glass. One is hagbaha. Lahagbiya in Hebrew means to raise, to uplift. For example, if we take a look in the in the Agos Maimonis, he uses the words kan nohagin kol echad lahagbiya. Interestingly, the Machzav Vitri uses neither the word lahagbiya or lechos. He uses the word notel, you take. But the Agos Maimonis says. And then he says, But it's appropriate to grasp. And not the same word. Both, In both there's a hand, there's an object that's being held. But in one there's an object that's being held aloft. And in the other, there's an object that's being grasped. Let me demonstrate the difference to you. I'm sure you've seen people make Kiddush and Havdalah grasping the, be- the becher, holding the cup like this. It's actually wrong. Why? Because when you recite Kiddush or Havdalah, as we're going to learn in a moment, the mitzvah is lahagbiyah, to raise, to raise up. This is to grasp something. You need something, you grab it. This is to uplift it. And we'll soon see that according to the teachings of Kabbalah, it's very important for one to hold it in this fashion because the palm or the hand represents the keli, the envelope or the receptacle. And the cup represents the energy or the or that goes into the keli. This is about receiving Hashem's blessing. This is about ingesting the holy energy of what we're about to do. So we receive it by holding it in a manner of receipt not by grabbing the cup. The Agos Maimonis says, you raise the cup until the end of Lefikach. Then he says, it's appropriate to continue to hold that cup. This is Achiza. This is Hagba'a. Until Gal Yisrael, So, the Rebbe suggests for Bore Priagofen, there is no need to lift the cup. When you recite a bracha over anything, for example, a glass of tea or a cup of coffee, you don't have to lift it this way in ritual fashion. You simply hold the cup. Once you're holding the cup or hold the handle of the cup, that's good enough. You're grasping. That's called achizah. You're holding fast to the object you're about to make a bracha over. When you're performing a ritual formula like Kiddush, Havdalah, or singing Hashem's praises, then there's a need for Hagba'a. This is a ritualistic kind of raising the glass. The Rebbe suggests that the difference is between Achiza and not Hagba'a. And because we hear about the notion of Yagbi'a Hakos, and because it says, you hold it in your hands until the end of Asher Ga'olonu. So the Rebbe suggests that therefore the Shulchan Aruch left the language of Bore Priyagafen aside because this doesn't relate to the Bore Priyagafen business. This relates to the holding on to a cup. You want to hold a cup, you hold a cup. That's fine. Very interestingly, what was the custom of the Chabad Rabbeim? What did the Rebbe's do? So the Rebbe notes that in the original print of the Torah or Siddur, it said, Yagbiya et hakos. It didn't add further. The Tzemach Tzedek wrote in his manuscript, wrote in his own personal Siddur, The reason for this is because it's documented that there seemed to have been a mistake in the print. 
And because there was a mistake in the print, because in many other Sidurim it wasn't found that way. For example, Ochzo, hold it until Gal Yisrael, is not found in the Siddur Kol Yaakov, or the Siddur of the Shalah, or the Siddur of uh, Yaivitz. So since these other Sidurim didn't have it, the printer made a mistake here. However, the Alter Rebbe himself found this mistake. And he told his, he told his grandson about it. And it seems the Alter Rebbe did that, and his grandson did that. And he wrote it in. And now it gets even more interesting. So what do we do? The Rebbe Maharash, the fourth Rebbe, said that after Lefikach, we place the glass back on the table. And the Rebbe points out that this is exactly the first custom of the Hagos Maimonis. Now the Hagos Maimonis adds, it's appropriate. It's nice to keep holding it. It doesn't say Hagbiya. It doesn't say to raise it up. In other words, everybody agrees that the raising of the glass is important for Lefichach. We are now going to sing Hashem's praise. If we are going to sing Hashem's praise, let us raise our glass. That's how we sing Hashem's praise. By raising a glass of wine. However, he says, if you're already holding the glass, keep holding it. You don't have to hold it like this. Keep holding it until the end when you get to Bore Prayer Gofen. And although the Alter Rebbe in, this, in the Haggadah seems to say you hold it until Siyom Berchas Hashem Ga'olano, or as he says in Shulchan Aruch, Ad Shachotem Go'al Yisrael, nonetheless, nonetheless, the custom of the subsequent Chabad Rebbeim was, and this is the custom we in, our, in the Chabad community follow today, is that we are Magbiya, and then we place. But then we raise the glass up again, not as an achiza, but actually as a raising, we raise the glass for the bracha of Asher Go'alanu. In other words, for the, the verses of praise in between, there is no issue of holding it aloft, so you can hold it, but instead of just holding it, we actually place it down. We raise it for Asher Go'olonu. And then, when it comes to the bracha of Bori Pregafman, you don't have to drink it still having it raised. You just drink. Why is there a business of raising this glass? What's, what's that about? So let me share with you something interesting, which the Alter Rebbe writes in Shulchan Aruch. In Simen Kuf Pei Gimel. In chapter 183, subsection 8 of the Orachayim, the part of Shulchan Aruch that governs daily life. This is a portion of the Shulchan Aruch that talks about the blessing after one, after one has a meal. And ideally, it should be recited over a glass of wine. The Alter Rebbe says, you lift it from the ground, and then he adds, if you're sitting on the ground, as it used to be in the eastern lands. So you have to lift the glass up a hand's breadth, about three inches. But if you're sitting at the table, when you do the Birchat HaMazon over a glass of wine, you must raise the glass of wine a hand's breadth, three inches. Why do we raise it up? So it should be obvious. It should meet, meet the eye. If something's on the table, it's below what we would call eye shot. If you raise it up, now people see it. So the point is that this should be demonstrable. This should be clear. This should be obvious. People should take note of it. Because it's important what we're about to do now. We want to make it very, very explicit that the song of praise or the thanksful acknowledgement of Hashem's kindness is being performed over a glass of wine. And as such, we raise it up. So raising the glass of wine is actually to demonstrate that the shear is al hayayim, whereas making a bracha has nothing to do with what you demonstrate to somebody else. Reciting a bracha has what to do with what you do for yourself. I am about to make a bracha over this. I'm holding it so that there's no interruption between the blessing and between the action I'm about to perform. There's an interesting question that's asked about somebody who makes a bracha over a stream of water. You can't grab the stream. In fact, the water is not even in front of you. 
And he said, well, since the stream is flowing, that works too. I have the same question about a water fountain. <laughs> Before the corona days, when people would drink water from a water fountain. If somebody wants to make a bracha of shahakal, does he have to press the button to have the water activated? And it wouldn't even help? Because the water that's in front of you isn't the water that you're going to be making a bracha over anyway, or drinking anyway. The answer would be, like the stream. <laughs> yeah, you make sure the water fountain's working first, and then you can make a bracha and go ahead and do what you gotta do. Hi, excuse me. So now we have a little bit of clarity. We know of what we're about to do. We understand why we raise the glass. We know what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to, what we're trying to achieve. And that brings us to another very interesting little detail. In the Haggadah, the instructions are as such. Yechasa hapas, cover the bread, the matzah. Viagbia et hakos, you raise up the glass. What's that about? Why are we covering the glass? The matzah, pardon me. So in the tour, in the Hagos Maimonus, the Maxim Vitri, this isn't mentioned at all. But in the tour, it's not mentioned. The commentary on the tour, Bet Yosef, written by the later author of the Shulchan Aruch, he says, Vekosav be'agur, in the Augur was a great Rishon who compiled Halachot. He says, the Augur wrote, Kishenotel hakos biyodoi, when you take the kos in your hands, that's the same language as the Machzavitri, notel. Kishemagia lilafichach, when you reach lafichach, nachon lechasot hamatzah. It's appropriate to cover the matzah. Why? Shalo yira hapat boshto. So the bread shouldn't see its shame. The shame of it being passed over. And such is an appropriate custom. Custom of people who are focused in the things they do clear about the things they do. The Bet Yosef adds, I found also written in the responsa of the Ashkenazim, Sha'ad oto sha'ad, until that moment, Tehei The matzah should be revealed. The cover should be rolled back. Ki as we say, Lechem sha'onim alav dvarim harbe that the matzah is called oni, which means bread of impoverishment, but it also means bread in which we give ear, we raise our voice over. Like it says in the Torah, the anita, the amarta, I've seen it foolishly mistranslated as bread we do answers over. It's not just about answers. An ona is not only an answer, an ona could be a response. Like it says, ke ona acharakora, somebody who's repeating words after somebody, he's not answering, it's a response, it could be responsive. And the notion of ania, the anita viamarta, as Rashi says, means haramat kol, we raise our voice. So at the Haggadah we raise our voice, but we raise our voices and we respond to the question of the children over the matzah. In other words, it's kind of like a show and tell. This is our paradigm, this is the matzah. It's right in front of us. We're not just using words, we're also using artifacts. We're also using examples. It's like, for example, in today's day and age when people give a lecture and they point at a, a screen or they point at, a, at, a, at a, some kind of demonstration to make it easier to understand. We have to do everything possible to make this experience one that the children relate to. So if it's only words, it's a monologue. So therefore, it's not just words, it's also noise, it's sounds. It's, there's a lilt, there's a song that goes along with it. A sing-song or a chant. And there are songs that we actually sing. And later there are things we taste. And there are things we point at. 
these things serve to demonstrate the ideas and ideals that we're talking about and trying to communicate. In the Shulchan Aruch, the Bet Yosef makes no mention of this. However, the glosses of the Shulchan Aruch that were written by Rabbeinu Moshe Isilish, or the Ramah, who wrote the Ashkenazic Shulchan Aruch, only in his humility simply added his glosses to the original Shulchan Aruch that was written somewhat before or at the same time as he wrote his, but was printed before he got a chance to print his Shulchan Aruch, so he simply added his glosses to the original Shulchan Aruch of Rabbeinu Yosef Karo. Hence you have the table and the tablecloth. In the tablecloth, or the words of the Ramah, he says, Ve'yehi hapat migula b'shah sha'omer ha'hagada. The bread or matzah should be revealed, open at the time the Haggadah is being recited. Ad lafikach, up until this point. But at this point, sha'ochez hakos biado, that you're going to grasp the cup in your hand, yechasapas, cover the bread. He doesn't give any reason. He just says, Agur and Bet Yosef. Gives it as his sources. The Bogan Avram, Rabbi Avram Gabiner, a major commentator on the Orachaim portion of the Shulchan Aruch, says, adds the words, Shalo Yireh Bashto, so that it will not see its shame. To kind of sew this all together, let me share with you the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Aruch, and then we'll talk about this in the Haggadah. The Alter Rebbe says like this. Yesh li zahir. He adds two very important words here. He says you must be very careful. That the matzah should be somewhat laid bare, somewhat open. He speaks here about during the portion of reciting the Haggadah. Ad Till we reach lafikach. Why? Isn't that part of the Haggadah? Shouldn't we be reciting the lafikach over the matzah? No, says the Alter Rebbe. Sha'oz then no hagim. It's customary like koso. Everybody's going to raise his glass. Everybody's going to be lechos biyado. They're going to continue to hold it. At shachotem goal yisrael. Well, the fichach therefore nachon. It's appropriate lechasot hamatzah. Why? Shelo yira hapast. And Alter Rebbe adds the word. He uh, shouldn't see boshto kishenot lin hakos at the time that the glass is taken. The cup of wine is taken. In other words, it's very clear here that you have to make sure to cover the matzah before the glass is taken. So it shouldn't see its shame, kishanotlo. And indeed, in his instructions in the Haggadah, the Rebbe says, yechases cover the bread, v'yagbiya etakos, and then you raise the glass. The Rebbe points out in his glasses on the Haggadah, you cover the bread. It shouldn't see its shame that it's being set aside. Here the Rebbe says, because in Omrim Shiro, Here the Alter Rebbe, the Rebbe says, Ki shira elo al As the Rebbe spoke about earlier, when we came to the business of Vehisha'omda. The point then is this. The point is that we should be sure to cover the matzah first. Now people ask, are you kidding or something? Since when does bread have feelings? And if you believe that the bread has feelings or is ashamed, how do you eat it? <laughs> if you believe the bread's alive, you're going to chew and chomp on a living thing and digest it? My friends, it's not really about the feelings of the bread per se. But Judaism wants us 
to be mindful and sensitive to the feelings of others. Suppose you were talking to somebody. You're talking to them because you were lonely. You had nobody else to talk to. But the moment somebody else came along, you simply dropped them like a hot potato and moved on. How would you feel? Not particularly good. You feel as, I'm not really important. The person was only talking to me because, well, because they needed somebody to talk to. Years ago, my wife and I once came to a, a simcha, and, and um, this event celebrating the engagement of children had a family from an, a, a different country, from overseas. And the mother of one of the young people who just got engaged was from overseas, from a distant place, and she had been in the school with my wife. And when my wife came in, I came with my wife, she was like, oh, so excited to see my wife, a familiar face. And she embraced her and, you know, they were talking. And then, a short while later, a relative of hers showed up. And she literally dropped my wife like in mid-conversation and like as if she didn't exist. And needless to say, I picked up, I mean, it was like in another room, I picked up on this. And we, we didn't stay very long afterwards. And it, she didn't have a good feeling about that. How could she? Would you feel good about being dropped? Here, the matzah is the darling of the Seder. Everybody is talking about the matzah. We're making this whole narrative and we keep pointing at the matzah. We even touch the matzah. Matzah zoo. I've touched the matzah. But China said, this is the matzah. Mora matzah. The glass of wine is on the table. We raised the glass of wine when it came to Vihisha Amda. I refer you back to the Vihisha Amda class many a class ago where we talked about the shame of the matzah that also gets covered before we raise the wine. Not because the matzah is embarrassed, but because this teaches us menschlichkeit. This inculcates within us a feeling of how we should treat others, others, things outside of us. If you're going to dote over something and talk about something and focus on something, at least have the decency to kind of close that before you move on to something else. So when you're finished talking about the matzah, and the matzah has been the focus for the last maybe hour, maybe two hours, during the whole course of Magad, when you sat and elaborated on the story of the Exodus until you said, this is actually something I personally experienced. And then you just ignore the matzah and you raise your glass of wine. Not really appropriate. As such, we're told, cover the bread. Now we're finished with the bread. And now we're finished with the bread. In a respectful way, we move on to the cup. I have to laugh when people come to lecture me about sensitivity for others and respect for others. And not me personally. I have a lot to learn and much to, to grow in this area. But when they come to lecture Torah Judaism, the Torah isn't sensitive. The Torah is to be a little more, uh, you know, caring about the feelings of others. <laughs> I think of halacha like this, how we are enjoined in halacha to be careful even about the proverbial feelings of a glass of wine or a, a piece of dry matzah cracker. Truth be told, this halacha isn't unique to Passover. In fact, one of the reasons that the challah on the table is covered every week before we make Kiddush is because if one doesn't have a glass of wine, one can make Kiddush, sanctify the Shabbat day over the challah. So the challah is being passed over. It's only that here, it's ever so much more so because here the matzah isn't just on the table. The matzah has been the focal point as the Alter Rebbe put it, tzarech li zoher, you have to be really careful to focus on the matzah. And as such, when it gets placed aside, we have to demonstrate. We need to learn. This is perhaps similar to the words of the Rambam in Moed of Vuchim, as well as the Sefer Achinuch, when they talk about the mitzvah of shooing away the mother bird. They say the feelings, the maternal feelings, not paternal feelings, but maternal feelings, 
of an animal are much like those of a human being, instinctual, natural. And as such, because they're instinctual, because they're natural, when you exploit the mother bird's concern for its young, you become cruel. It's not that the Torah says you have to be compassionate for the bird. If you were compassionate for the bird, you shouldn't be slaughtering the bird and eating it. The Torah wants you to be compassionate. And if you become indifference to the suffering of an animal, you become cruel. Indifference is a terrible place for a person to be. Excuse me. Since we did talk about the notion of raising a glass of wine, I want to share with you that in, in the Gemara it says one should raise a glass of wine with two heads. And that demonstrates willingness, excitement. You reach for it with two heads. The problem, of course, is that you're actually supposed to hold the glass like this. So the custom, as it's spelled out in the beginning of the Nebuchadnezzar Haggadah, is that you raise the glass with your right hand, unless you're a lefty. Pass it to your left hand, and then with your left hand you place it between the palm and the fingers of your right hand. And in that way we have the notion of taking it with two hands, because we've raised it with one hand, placed it in the other, and we also have opportunity to place it properly on the palm of our hand. When we make Kiddush, it's supposed to be not one tefach, but three tefachim, or about nine inches, raised above the table. So now you know something about raising a glass. You've learned something about bread of shame and sensitivity. And we understand that at this point, with our glass raised, we're poised and ready to fulfill our call of duty to praise Hashem. What exactly does that call of duty look like? We've learned about the word lefichach, therefore. And therefore we must we must praise, we must thank, we must acknowledge, laud. Oh, a whole bunch of other details like that. But for this, I'm going to invite you to join me tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem, for our next episode. And if you aren't yet subscribed, please do so. YouTube.com forward slash Rabbi Mendel Kaplan. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye.